Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hello, Beatrice. It's Rebecca. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And how are you and what have you been up to? I am well. The, the first thing I want to tell you is that since it's been sunny, I have swapped over all my clothes and changed my wardrobe to my summer wardrobe. So I'm just hoping it's going to continue to be sunny or I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> That's one thing I'm planning to do today. Um, and yeah, it was difficult this morning to find anything that was appropriate for the sunshine. Yes, but it's I so take glorious. A I take a long time to transition. I can't do it at the drop oh, of really? a hat. Yeah. Because mm. so, so, I pack away all my winter clothes and I bring out all the summer and then that's it. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll pack them away and I do the same, but then it still takes me a while to, um, you know, wearing wearing sandals, I couldn't just do that from one day to another. That would take me... You have me... to ease yourself in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you start by wearing them around the house and then... I start by thinking about door. wearing them. Oh, you think first. Yeah. So um, one of my colleagues this week, I complimented her because she was in full summer wear with shades Wonderful. and everything. And um, I, I admire that approach, but I, I somehow can't do it. Well, you'll get there. You'll, I'll get you'll there. think about it. You'll imagine the outfits. Yeah, I'll do and that. Then, and then you'll go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was my personal thing yeah. I was doing, was thinking about that. And then I'm... I can't remember if I told you, but I'm reviewing the new V&A museum show, Fashion from Nature for the Times Literary Supplement. Oh, wow. I, was, I so wanted to go. There was the opening this week, wasn't it? Yes. I, I just, I had something to do. I just couldn't go. It was so annoying. No, well, it, I went to the press launch, which oh. was really, it was, it's really fascinating. You must, you must go and see it. I mean, I won't go into huge detail because I, I have to think about it for my review as mm. well. But I did think it was really interesting and really, like, really important. I, I really appreciated seeing a fashion show that didn't shy away from engaging with politics and the fact that fashion is political and the choices you make are political. Mm. So that was really good. And I think Edwina Ehrman, the curator, managed to just pack so much information like you mm. don't feel you're being bombarded at all, but so much information. Because like the downstairs is um, sort of, I think eighteenth is probably the earliest, eighteenth mm -hmm. and nineteenth century, and really shows how the industrial revolution transformed fashion. But shows how fashion was global from really early on. Mm. There's like a, an eighteenth century mantua that's. It shows you where each component came from in the world. You know, oh, the that's silk amazing. and the embroidery mm. for threads and the fur and like everything. And I think that's really, it's such an important thing to think about is, is its global nature from not the start, but from very early on. Mm. And also how it's linked to industrialization and capitalism and that the, as those two things grow, so too does the sort of toxic nature of fashion. Mm. And it both in the sense of exploiting people, whether it's African-Americans um, working as slaves in the cotton fields in America, or whether it's, um, you know, 
people working in really bad conditions in couture houses, but then also, you know, the sort of toxicity of dyes and just like the processes of making cotton and that kind of thing. And do they talk about that in the exhibition? Because that's, you know, some things are just so hard to transmit yeah, in an exhibition. It, I think it, I mean, yeah, so hard. Mm. And I think they, they do a really good job of it. Because, mm. for example, there's a case that's got a selection of like men's and women's cotton garments from the 19th century. And, and what really strikes you is how bright white they are. Mm. And then at the back, there's a picture of a smoky factory. Yeah. <laughs> kind of remind you that's what's producing these mm. things as, as things get produced on a bigger scale. And then it's got pictures of um, slave, enslaved um, cotton pickers. And it's got sort of details about the process and like text panels about um you know how that how the increase in production impacts the planet and impacts the treatment of workers as well so it's it's it, it, it's sort of interesting because it manages to segue from that to then examples oh actually there are earlier because there's um is it the latent jacket you know the oh the, yeah mm-hmm. yeah the embroidered jacket that's 17th century yeah yeah. There's there's sort of things like that which are just amazing examples of the way nature has inspired mm. makers. So that's kind of incredible and floral embroidery and how it links to books so much that, that kind of Oh the emblematic. Mm. Yes, yes, and the sort of botanical you know, there's like beautiful botanical drawings from Kew Gardens which have then inspired the decoration on a nineteenth century dress and mm. things like that. So you, you get a kind of dual sense that there's this fascination with nature and enormous creative inspiration from nature but then nature is simultaneously being exploited for, for what it what it can give mm. to fashion so whether that's the actual raw components like flax or cotton or whatever or whether it's like there was a dress with beetle wing oh, yes. mm. because it's so mm. green and shiny and mm. Um, you know, mother of pearl buttons and things like that. And then the upstairs is is 20th and 21st century, mainly 21st, I would say. And that, again, has things inspired by nature and then things which are toxic to nature and then potential solutions. Mm. So examples of people who are working, like Stella McCartney is the best-known example, who are mm. really actively working to make sustainable fashion and it's it's continually kind of prompting you to think well what do I do what's my attitude so that's good yeah that's really interesting that you should say that because I met a colleague last night former colleague who now works at the VNA and he has seen mm. it and and he said the same thing that it really made him think about his own um approach to clothes he didn't go into specifics exactly what it was <laughs> but I suspect Oh, yeah, I suspect it's, is there something about not having that much? Because I always think that is a really tricky thing for That's, fashion. It really is. And I think it's really, and I and I also, I think it's kind of, I think it's like inspiring the show because you keep thinking, oh, that's such a good idea, that's so clever. But then at the same time, like I can remember you and I, like when we used to teach at what was then Epsom School, mm. like, you know, we were talking about, I don't mean we were unique, but th- these issues we were talking about then, what is it getting on for 20 years ago in the 90s it was yeah yes yeah and and you know people have been talking about it since at least the 60s 70s and even earlier than that i mean the rspb was 
was set up because of people destroying endangered species of birds mm. because they were sticking the feathers on their hats. So it's such a long known thing, but then it's really difficult to change people's way of thinking about their clothes and also just access and affordability as well. Yeah, that that um, I remember. I was uh, actually I wasn't. I remember when I was teaching in the nineties. It was more. It wasn't so much about the environmental issue. It was more there was the sort of period where people maybe first or maybe it had happened before took looked at sweatshops, and um, and that's what we were sort of talking about where things were made and in what conditions more than any sort of environmental. Um, cost of fashion and that was that was really interesting because I remember the students being shocked by it but also then not saying they would probably still not change what they do um, partly a lot of it to do with with money um, yeah now I think that is the biggest thing and I, I actually um, this morning on the business of fashion emails uh, there was an op-ed mm. about um, two surveys in America with American, I hate the word millennials yeah, mm. because I think it's quite insulting to young people, but anyway um, and they're, you know, they're, they're like the best informed generation about the sort of various environmental impacts but, and, and they score really highly on caring about those issues and wanting sustainability but then in terms of what they actually buy, again still really low and and what the person writing this talks about is again like we were saying sort of access and, and affordability because I can remember again in the 90s being at a conference and I think it was Elizabeth Wilson saying we just have to buy less but mm. buy more expensive things because or like you know not just any old expensive thing but expensive yes. things which have been which made well will yeah. last and etc mm. but it's really I think it's I, you know, I completely 100% agree, and as much as possible, that's what I try to do. But you have to have a certain income level to do that, and you have to have a certain attitude to do that. That you, you are, yeah, it's, it's like certain kinds of designs which are like that and which will last, and also a certain lifestyle. I think I well, can yes. see, I, yeah. you know, I can remember my mother telling me when she was a teenager and her aunt was a dressmaker so I think on Saturday they would make her the dress that she would wear in the evening to go out and it was in the 60s so you know probably was a shift dress and could be quickly made but it sounded a bit like every Saturday that was going on (laughs) so and you know if you if you're young you go out a lot you don't want to necessarily wear the same thing the whole time I, I also I can totally understand that but then when I see the ads for some of the there's a lot of ads in, in in the underground for for that kind of party wear for want of a better word that's a really stupid word um and it, it says dress eight pounds or something yeah. and i think that yeah. that really i don't know and how that works the real, mm. the real kind of center of it isn't it because i can completely understand the impulse to buy lots of cheap clothes especially if that's all you can afford i think i really don't want to condemn people for doing that because Mm. i think it's a judgment on on people with less money it's a judgment on their taste on their lifestyle on everything and i don't think that should be the case but that that fashion doesn't cost what it costs in 
in reality in terms of the amount being paid to the people making mm. it, the conditions they live in, the way the fabrics are produced, etc., etc. But there is something so appealing about things which are ephemeral mm. and exciting and new and fun. And how do you balance that with with the need to actually face up to what happens mm. to people in the planet when you have that as the driving force in fashion? Mm. And I maybe I get this wrong, but I remember somewhere reading somewhere that um, re recycling your clothes doesn't really help because they don't almost don't know anymore what to do with all these clothes no, that are I being know. recycled. And, yeah, well, I think a lot are sent to African countries mm. where it then potentially destroys the local mm. clothing production mm. there, and also yes, they don't necessarily want western clothes which have been thrown out exactly yeah no it's oh, really yeah mm. yeah and i i it, yeah it's such it's such a deep problem i remember um when when i worked at st martin's there was this really nice woman who worked who's like a textile expert she consulted for a lot of really big big brands and she had consulted with them on how to be more sustainable and this kind of thing and because it always involved greater cost it would always end up that a big brand would do a kind of separate line of eco-friendly mm, yeah. things. And really, I remember her saying to me, until the whole brand goes eco-friendly, then it won't change. Mm. Because people then have to make the active choice to spend that bit more, more. Or, to, or to go to that line of things. So I suppose like H&M, they, they do a, a conscious line, don't they? Yeah. And I think like even Marks and Spencer's does, I'm sure they've done like an organic cotton line or mm. something. But again, it's like you have to kind of consciously see, you have to see the label, read why you should buy that instead and make that choice. Whereas it should be that big brands lead the way and completely convert to that. So it's it's like that's your only choice is to buy. I, th I think, I mean, luxury brands, I think, can maybe do that more than, than others. Yes. And I think there are some, like, I think LVMH, they're really, I don't know how much actually do, but I think they're really committed to mm. to, to, to have more sustainability. Um, yeah. But I, I, I also remember talking to a um, colleague from, from Germany, who was teaching somewhere in Germany, and she did this project with her students who produced a little leaflet um, about all the different uh, logos that mean different, you know, organic cotton and all, oh, right, yes. and that was actually really interesting as as well because there were so there were actually a lot of different yes. uh, logos that, and I wouldn't have necessarily they are, confusing. Mm. I know because I, I try to buy um, organic and vegan skincare and those and cosmetics products, and even just on that, which is such a specific niche of a niche kind of thing to be looking for there are three or four mm. different symbols to look for mm. um no it's it's really it's such an important thing i mean i always really admire Catherine hamnett yeah because i think she's been really dedicated to this for a long time, long time. Yeah, that's and true. i think her current collection I, I i mean like you were saying at the beginning kind of buying less but also showing less mm. as a designer you know that she's got a sort of capsule of you know a limited color palette it's 
you know, clothes get, garments get repeated. And I suppose it does come back down to whether you want to wear the same kind of things all the time mm. and, and the, your sort of approach to dress. But I think she's really good at doing it. And they mm. had actually, they had in the show, they had um, a Helen Story outfit. And oh, I remember yeah. how important she was in the 90s mm. for really re- promoting that. Because I think she works at London College of Fashion now, doesn't she? Yeah, it? yeah, they have a centre for sustainable fashion. Yes, they mm. do, that's true. Mm. And they... Um, and I think she's been really brilliant sort of engaging directly with scientists because that's another thing that, that is so crucial to this. And that was really striking in the exhibition is that Edwina Ehrman has worked with the Natural History Museum and the Science Museum. So there were lots of things from those two, which was really nice just as a kind of Kensington Museum's link up, but also showing how you know, how fashion links to all these other parts of, of culture and science and that the key to really changing is working closely Together. with experts mm. in in those fields so that they can, yeah, just, you know, just develop ways to produce things which are not, which are sustainable. Mm. It reminds me of quite very different thing in a way but a long time ago like again early 90s we were working on an exhibition at Kensington Palace and it was about coronation robes and we had to reproduce um, part of I think George IV's coronation robe and we we didn't want to use actual ermine so um, so we we've we've I don't know how but we found this man who was I think he was 80 or something. He'd worked in the fur trade for 15, from when he was 15. Wow. Um, It was really interesting. I wish we'd recorded what he said. It was so interesting about going to the the stock market or whatever it's called, you know, where you go and trade uh, the pelts and everything. But he had switched to um, artificial fur even then. Oh, really? That's so good. I guess that was when Peta also was at its height yes. maybe um so yeah so he he then managed to get us some and, and it became the other thing was it w- was getting really good well good i think we had a conversation about that before whether that is actually a good thing to imitate for so well but yes, but that's yeah. what what they managed to do at that point so we were using we we were ended up using fake for which is much better. Well, good for you. Yes. Good for you. Mm-hmm. No, but it's also, because that was also, there was like, was it called Respect in this country, which was a big anti-fur mm. company, which just kind of, I don't know. Quite militant exhausted. as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. And and kind of exhausted itself. And I, and I think there was a feeling then that the the war had been won because lots of department stores stopped stocking it and magazines stopped showing it. But then, I think like Saga Furs and the fur industry was really active and really clever about sponsoring student shows and things so Mm. the students would use fur and I think there were ways they got it back in but no it's really it's so difficult because it is like people almost don't want their fun spoiled Mm. by having to engage with these things even though if you just as you were saying about with teaching if you just talk about the issues 99% 99% of people seem to agree. I know mm. we've got a very yeah. selective audience, yes. haven't we? Yes. <laughs> Our very biased sampling. <laughs> but then... But, it, you know, it's just yeah. looking at myself. I, I mm. you know, I, I, I keep things for a long time and whether it, they're, mm. you know, a lot of the time they are not expensive things. I'll just 
keep them for a long time but but that's mm. just my inclination I don't have to yeah. make myself do that that's just you know I, I do would prefer having a uniform and wear the same thing every day but I can you know other people are absolutely not like that and I do it uh, you know like I said this one colleague I, I every day I think hmm, I wonder what she's gonna wear today you know it's <laughs> I, I appreciate it when well, people yeah, make absolutely. that effort mm. absolutely and I also don't I, I also don't like it when people criticize you know like teenage girls who are shopping in Primark mm. because you know fashion is so much part of the culture for a lot of teenage girls and it's how you learn to grow up and how you learn about your identity and bond Mm. with friends and just have fun and take pleasure Mm. and I I really don't like people who just disregard that and kind of write that off like it's like making sure those elements and that emotional connection to clothing is still possible while producing clothing in an ethical manner and it's also that it's not just the clothing industry you know like yeah. the electronics industry or like you pretty... said the beauty industry what yes. they're saying about the micro beads um yes. you know, there's a lot about that um yeah and also, um, also the, yeah, what are I... they called these self sulfates S- yeah mm. yeah oh i think sulfates are fine it's the other thing with an s is it? Yes. Okay. We're showing our, our, our comprehensive yeah, knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I think it is really difficult because it it's not just about education. It's it's about and and I and yeah, as I say, it's not just it, it's about all consumed objects, all consumer objects, isn't it? Because even like food and food packaging and the air miles used up on on shipping yeah. things air miles on shipping i don't know about transport either or, or books <laughs> you know i i still yes. prefer i had a kindle for a while but i still yeah prefer books but that's not you know that's that's uses a lot of paper gone. Mm, mm. oh my goodness mm. no well i think we'll have to go back to the show together and take lots of notes yeah and no, then I... try and be better people in terms of and I, and I know you want to don't say too much because you're writing the review, mm. but just is there one object you particularly remember or... Yes, um... I can answer that immediately. Okay. The, and it's an inspired by nature one. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, I liked the underwater inspired oh, things best. Yes. Mm. Because... I love Jacques Cousteau. Mm. I love the underwater world. And there was this beautiful, amazing Zach Posen dress, which I'm going to send you a picture of, okay. which was kind of shimmery, goldeny, but kind of dull gold with fish and coral woven into it. And it's wow, this amazing sounds... silhouette that's mm. it's like sleeveless just around neck. And it sort of balloons and then is caught in just under the waist. It's quite Balenciaga-y, mm-hmm. and then and then sort of straighter. And I just loved it. That sounds so amazing. Really, it, I was being a bad consumer person because I just wanted to steal it out of the <laughs> case and put it on and wear it home. Without we, if we do our mermaid underwater exhibition, we I might know, have to borrow really that as well. Do that. Mm. I think so. Mm. Yeah, I think we can add it to our sort of mermaidy things. <laughs> yeah, that, that we would like yeah. to have in our lives. 
Oh, I really look yes. forward to to seeing it. Um, so yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. And I've I've been sent the book as well to review, which I just got yesterday, so I haven't had time to read it. But it it looks really good because it it's like there is so much to sort of read and think about in the show you know I was taking like a million pictures mm. so that I could read the things afterwards um and as you know I'm not a good reader of text panels <laughs> um but I am a good reader of books so I'm going to be a good girl and read that very thoroughly for mm. my review mm. um and kind of really think about it a lot more mm. um so yes I recommend it to you Beatrice I think you would really enjoy it okay thank you okay you're okay. welcome you're welcome <laughs> And have you got in your? In, I think of it as your personal collection, although it doesn't belong to the Museum of London. Have you got any nice things that are inspired by nature or? Yeah, we have a lot things? of. Um, I I did wonder at at some point we were coming up with a whole lot of exhibition ideas in the hope we will get at some point a, a sort of smaller fashion gallery that we can change relatively regularly, and um, one of the ideas was to look at. Um, objects with flowers on them which sounds you know it sounds nice but possibly a little bit superficial but I I don't think it is because like you say what kind of flowers would have been depicted I'm always really interested in um, when you look at 18th century garments how how English silk excuse me and French silk is very different it's much Mm. you know French silk is much more abstract it's still got flowers in it but excuse me with English silk you can actually tell which flowers are depicted often. Um, it's sort of much more naturalistic, I guess. And yes. so looking at that kind of thing and then also later on, what you said earlier about um, the Industrial Revolution, it's sort of interesting that when cities become much, sort of bigger and more more city-like in a way, mm. that then you have people, a lot of people having whole birds in their hats. and Yes. And a lot of artificial flowers on everything, and I think. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Thinking, of, thinking of that in that way. Yeah, maybe you could do something about you know talk about that as well. That people trying, yes. trying really hard to get the oh. nature into the city. Oh goodness, and that also makes me think of Walter Benjamin mm-hmm. and his arcades project because he there's all those amazing things he talks about in terms of how you're like entering in fashion, you're entering the inorganic realm and about women wearing exactly as you're saying um you know like bird plumes but also artificial fruit and things and how it's using inorganic representations of the organic to kind of stave off aging and death oh that's interesting Mm. although sometimes it is unfortunately the actual organic thing well that is true that's Mm. Yes, mm. but I think it, it's such an interesting idea. I really like that idea of thinking about it in terms of, of kind of losing nature, so trying to keep it close on your body. But it, and it's interesting that women do that. And, you know, in the 18th no, century, it's me. men and women, so you have, it, you have the same kind of fabric for waistcoats, say. Mm. But then that sort of stops. I mean, in the 1840s, 1850s, you might still get a waistcoat with little tiny flowers embroidered yes. on them or something like that. But then then it's that men don't really, apart maybe from the buttonhole. Um, yes, that's the last remnant. I guess so, because I don't really, I can't think of anything else. <clears throat> no, I can't really. I mean, just, as you say, like teeny weeny details, not whole garments. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting, because that's, 
it's like they get completely swallowed up by the city. Yeah, and also maybe it's partly also to do with women always being more aligned with nature and, you know, and that mm. part maybe an expression of that as well. Oh, and this makes me think, do you remember when we, I think it was a couple of years ago where we were obsessed with personifications of flowers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That phase. Whatever happened to that phase? I enjoyed it. Yeah. That. When we just used to find pictures of like flower fairies and things. Mm. Oh, isn't there a lovely sort of eighteen forties fifties book of of personifications of flowers? Oh, I can't remember now. I seem to remember mm. us being obsessed. Well, I feel like when we because we've got our under the water. Mm project and then i think our flower project we can revive our personifications of flowers yeah and in an ideal world we would of course go as flowers to the vna show um oh yeah yeah but i don't know but given that you know i mainly wear navy and gray and you mainly wear black Mm. well i mean there must be some flowers we could still embody Mm. even you can be a carla lily or something okay okay i don't know what i'm gonna be but yeah, I that's we need to work on that a bit. We're going to have to think about that yeah. a lot more. Yeah, we can't we can't fit that into today as well as being better environmentally no. informed people. Mm. We can only manage one thought at once. Yeah. Goodness, <laughs> well, I, I well, feel like I have to go away and look at plant books now. Okay, my, you you do that, and I'll my, think about my, our outfits. Like my spirit animal, but my spirit plant. Okay, you you do that. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Lovely to talk to you. And you. Bye. Bye.